Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hello and welcome to Invisible Hate. I'm Asad the Butt. And I'm Sadia Khan. And our story today takes us to Gardner, Kansas in spring of 2004. It's the morning and the parents of Alonzo Brooks are pacing frantically. Brooks and his friends had driven an hour away the night before to the outskirts of a rural town called Lasing for a party for someone who was leaving to join the Navy. But it seems there was some miscommunication and Brooks never got a ride back. His mother wakes up to discover his bed is empty and untouched. And on top of that, none of his friends have any idea where he is. His mother is terrified and files a missing persons report, triggering a desperate search for Alonzo's whereabouts. But it would be another month before his body was discovered in a creek not far away from that party. What exactly happened to Alonzo Brooks, who was responsible for the tragic death? And why did it take so long for a serious investigation to occur? We'll talk about all that on this week's episode of Invisible Hate. Welcome back to Invisible Hate, a weekly true crime podcast in which Sadia and I attempt to uncover the ugly truth behind various hate crimes, both recent and historical. Many of the cases that we discuss involve crimes committed against minority groups. Our goal is to determine through a discussion of the nuances and complexities of these unfortunate situations, whether these transgressions can be considered hate crimes. As will soon become clear, today's case fits many of the criteria for a hate crime, but we'll get into the specifics of that in a little bit. Before that, how was your week, Asad? Sadia, my week has been going great. I think I might have mentioned this before on the podcast, but we are producing a movie, our first movie. Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. To one of our listeners' points uh, earlier, yes, we have been certified. We're union-based. We're, we've gotten all the green lights to produce this in the right way. And yeah, the first shoot is coming up really soon. And we're doing four weekend shoots in Los Angeles and then one weekend shoot in New York City, so I might actually get to see oh you. My but we God. always say that we always say we're going to get together that we'd ever it do. Never your, your husband blew me off, you know, all this, all this stuff. You're absolutely <laughs> right. But before that, I am so proud of the work that you're doing, Asad, and yay oh, for doing you. it right. So thumbs up to that. <laughs> 
So, you know, for our listeners, we're doing a, a movie about the American Muslim experience. It's a feature film containing five short films all about uh, the Muslim holiday. And so really excited to give voice to a lot of uh, Muslim content creators. And we think that it will be re- well received by audiences um, when it's released. We hope so. so. We hope so. And can I interview some of your actors on Immigrant Oh, Day? actors, producers, directly. Yeah, I mean, we're they are all available, Sadia, oh, wow. and they all have amazing stories to share. But anyway, Sadi, how was your week? This is so exciting, Asad. My week was okay. So we are working on a new podcast, Asad, which we are calling Gen Z Podcast for now. We have a name, but we can't disclose it yet. Oh, nice. Do Gen Zs listen to podcasts? They do. (laughs) And this will be hosted by two Gen Z co-hosts. Wow. You're so hip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm going to learn new words from them. So I'm really excited. I can <laughs> use their lingo, right? From T to flex to so many other things. Anyways, we <laughs> have our co-hosts. We've finalized who will be co-hosting that podcast. And we took them for a photo shoot in New York City. We took them to wow, the city. Wow, so impressive. It was so much fun. I said, they are so fun. They are so nice. They're so down to earth. We'll be introducing them next week. Well, now I have to interview them. If you're going to interview my people, <laughs> I got to interview your people. Absolutely. And we are really excited. You know, I feel like when I talk to Gen Z people and I have, sometimes we have interns over here. I, I just feel so old. Sadia. I do. I mean, so I funny, do feel but, old you know. all the time, but I also am so excited. <laughs> you have Gen Z children, I don't do. you? I do, which makes me even wow. older. I feel that even is true, older, Sadia. right? You look great, though. I was just commenting on Sadia's hair. She's Her hair looks especially good today, but but she said that... Uh, yeah, I said you didn't even notice. It always looks like this. I just didn't even know. I really feel really, <laughs> really sad because my hair... Well, you never comment about my hair, yeah, Sadia. I mean, for all the listeners who don't know... I said, would you like to elaborate? I'm bald. Uh, and so I have I have very little hair. Um, and so that is the joke that she never comments on yeah. my hair. But it's because I don't have it. <laughs> so I said, should we get to the case? Yeah. And so just a quick uh, note to listeners as well is that I am um, on baby daddy duty right now. So if you do hear baby Isha in the background while we're talking, that's because she's excited about this case as well. (laughs) So it's April 2004. Alonzo Brooks is a 23-year-old African-American man, and he's heading to a party with a bunch of his friends. They're heading to a farmhouse in the rural town of Lacinia, Kansas, a small town with a population of just about a thousand people. Brooks is a quiet person and he wasn't really big on going out and often preferred to stay home with family. That sounds like what I would do, Sadia. That's what I do. I said all the yeah, time. Yeah, I think, yeah, I'm a, I like staying home. But that day, he decides to join his friends to go to the party, which is an hour away from where he lives in Gardner, Kansas. There are 100 people at the party, all young adults between the ages of like, you know, 16 and 25. He is only one of about three people of color at the party. At some point, though, during the party, his friends head out for a drive to look for cigarettes, promising to come back for him. But as the night unfolds at the party, A fight happens and it becomes really heated and racial slurs are directed towards Brooks. 
Wow, Asad. You know what's mind-boggling to me is this was happening in 2004. Now, for a lot of Gen Zers, 2004 may be really, really ancient. But for Asad and I, it's not that far back into history, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, just 20 years. So it's crazy to imagine that this was happening at the time. Do we know what was said at the party, Asid, or who said it? Yeah, we actually don't know, Saadia. There are multiple reports of what might have been said by those at the party. And some say that, you know, Brooks might have flirted with a girl. And some say that, like, a drunken white man wanted to fight a black guy there. Some people said that the people at the party just hated that Brooks was there. People following the case online bring up that members of the Boone family were there and may have come into conflict with Brooks, but we don't know exactly who said what, but whatever was said was enough for Brooks to feel uncomfortable and leave the party. Okay, so did Brooks leave by himself? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, Sally. That's kind of a mysterious and tragic part. It appears his friends didn't come back for him. They thought that Brooks had actually just taken another ride home with someone else. And it wasn't until the next morning that it becomes apparent that, you know, he wasn't there and that no one knows where he was and he didn't, you know, leave with anybody. So the Lynn County Sheriff's Department launches a search to find him. Two days after Brooks is missing, they bring in the Kansas Bureau of Investigation, the KBI. For several weeks, his family and friends comb the area near where the party was held and even wider, you know, and there are absolutely no leads. You can, you know, you can imagine these searches. Mm. You've probably seen them in movies or on TV shows. So, you know, people are arm in arm and they're going through the, you know, the land or the, the forest or whatever looking for people. And so, yeah, you know, you can imagine that a lot of people came together to do this, right? And then one month after his disappearance, Brooks's family takes matters into their own hands. They are allowed to conduct their own search party near the farmhouse where he was last seen in Lasinia. This is really confusing to me, Asit. Do people have to get permission to have their own search party and to undertake any kind of search? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, I would imagine that there's probably a crime scene or a potential crime scene in this case because there, hmm. you know, there wasn't you know, a body found, but they probably didn't want just random people, you know, doing their own searches. And I can understand, like, you know, the authorities don't want people to interfere or like if you do come across evidence, if it gets tampered with or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. Right. Right. But anyway, yeah. So the family is allowed to do their own search near that farmhouse. 50 people take part in that search. They bring dogs and they're all wearing orange vests. And this is where the heartbreaking discovery happens. Brooks's lifeless body is found by his father within just an hour. And it's on top of a brush pile, like really visible in the creek bed of this creek that leads up to the farmhouse. Within an hour and you could say 36 minutes, they were out there, they found my son that quick. That told me something right there. They were hiding my son. I know they were hiding my son. I said, this is so awful and I can't imagine the pain of his family and friends. And yet it seems like the body was visible, yeah. but people were not able to find it before this. I, I think that's exactly right, Salia. This is the big question in the case is like this body was just like right there. And so, you know, how did it get there? Right. Right. 
So what was strange is that according to the family, authorities couldn't make out if Alonzo's body was in the creek before or if it moved there later. And his family says that Alonzo's body looked surprisingly well-preserved, not like it was just laying in the creek bed the whole time, almost like someone recently placed the body there, Sadia. That's so strange. And that's exactly what I was thinking, Asid. So did investigators suspect any foul play? So at this point, no, Sadia. The coroner was unable to establish a cause of death, and the initial investigations classify his death as, quote, undetermined. The autopsy was conducted by Dr. Eric Mitchell, the Douglas County coroner at the time. And one important note is that Dr. Mitchell had relocated to Kansas after being investigated for medical misconduct in New York, and get this, for illegally harvesting organs and storing skeletons. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it gets, it's, it's so crazy. During his time in Kansas, despite his track record, Dr. Mitchell performed thousands of autopsies. So, you know, the Brooks's family had a lot to be suspicious about. They already suspected that given the fight at the party, Brooks fell victim to a racially motivated crime. But there were so many unanswered questions. There was no water in Brooks's lungs to indicate drowning, mm. and his throat was too decayed to indicate whether he had been strangled. So how could the cause of death be undetermined? So the coroner ruled out strangulation and drowning. Okay, the circumstances of his death definitely seem suspicious. I said, what happens next? Yeah, so despite the Brooks's family's hunch, local investigators don't, like, investigate much further. The case is still under investigation by Lynn County authorities and the KBI, but this is Wichita, and there's another serial murderer case that's happening at the time that is getting all the attention and the resources. And then... The case is transferred to the FBI, where, according to Brooks's family, not much happens. And then, after just about a month, Sadia, they close the case. That's so weird, Asad. Totally. It's, it's absolutely wild. None of this wild. makes sense to me. Exactly, yeah. And so, 16 years go by. Remember, this is 2004. So, 16 years go by with no leads and little further investigation. And in that period, Brooks's family had set up a Facebook page called Justice for Alonzo Brooks to bring national attention to the case. But still, you know, nothing happens. And then in 2017, a break happens. So I said, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, you can share with the listeners what that break is. Have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com podcast. Welcome back to Invisible Hate. So, Asad, you were talking about how after 16 years, a break happened in the case. 
What was that break? Yeah, so sadly, remember there was this Facebook page about the case. What happens is that producers of a Netflix show called Unsolved Mysteries reach out to the person that runs the page. Her name was Angela Ramirez Cox. They want to interview the family for one of the early episodes. The family is skeptical at first because, you know, there's been so much time and false hope, but the interviews end up happening. And this tragedy becomes the focal point for that show called Unsolved Mysteries. My hope is that there is somebody that's out there that knows the truth. Give us a little help. That's what we're asking for. I kept saying there is something bigger. I'm going to find out. It's an episode that's called No Ride Home, and it airs in 2020. Because of the Netflix show, because of the increased scrutiny and the circumstances of his death, the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of Kansas decide to reopen the case. Finally. Yeah, totally. After 17 years. And in a dramatic move, they actually exhume Brooks's body from the cemetery. Oh my gosh, Asad. Although I can understand why they would do that, it's probably extremely traumatic for the family, right? But I must say it's quite a turn of events. So what did this uncover? Yeah, so investigators found that Brooks's body displayed injuries not consistent with normal patterns of decomposition. That's crazy to me, you know? And this leads to a startling revelation and his cause of death is reclassified as a homicide. Some breaking news right now in a Kansas cold case, a new autopsy shows Alonzo Brooks' death has been ruled a homicide. The FBI says Brooks went to a party in 2005 and never... So Asad, can you tell me a little bit more about Alonzo? Yeah, so by all accounts, he was well-mannered, a good-humored young man. His mother described him as a good-natured prankster who loved football and animals. He was the youngest of five siblings who all remember him really fondly. His family has worked to preserve his memory, often laughing and sharing stories about him to his nieces and nephews who remember him as, quote, Uncle Alonzo. So, yeah, you know, Sadi, he sounds like a really cool guy. And, you know, it's just really heartbreaking for his family, for them not to have the answers as to what happened. You know, I'm, I'm sure they're really grateful that the case is still open, that it's been reclassified as a homicide, but still, like, they've now gone more than, you know, almost 20 years without knowing, you know, what happened to their son. Asad, this is so devastating. After so many years, it took a documentary to reopen this case. I can, I mean, I can really imagine the outrage many people probably felt for this not to have been caught earlier, right? Yeah, you know, I think that's exactly right, Sadia. You know, for me, I think it shows the power of the media, right? And like, you know, part of what we're doing, at least for, you know, my company at Rafaelian, and what you're doing is, at Immigrantly is to shine a light on these cases because, as we've talked about so many times, not enough attention gets shown on, you know, crimes or things that happen to non-white victims, right? Absolutely. And so... 
you know, look at this one example of when a Netflix documentary, you know, shines a lot on the case and then, whoa, it's automatically, not automatically, but obviously through investigation, reclassified as a homicide. I mean, that's, th- th- that to me is huge. So, yeah, you know, to your, your question, you know, there was a lot of rage in Kansas and across the country. Many felt that the handling of the case by local authorities wasn't thorough enough. His parents didn't feel that authorities were really hearing them throughout the initial investigation. And it was really the sudden local and national attention from the documentary that explains why the case was reinvestigated after so many years. I said this raises so many questions about how well-equipped local authorities were when there was suspicion of racial bias in a criminal investigation and even the intent, right? Were they intentional about investigating it as a racially motivated hate crime or not? But obviously we can't read their minds. We can only speculate based on the evidence. Yeah, exactly. So I said, what was the reaction after Brooks' death was determined to be a homicide? Yeah, you know, Sally, you are right to point out there was a lot of frustration and anger, starting with a lot of suspicion and mistrust in the authorities involved. Many online sleuths and observers feel there is something amiss about why the sheriff's department of a small, close-knit rural area failed to find Brooks's body after a month of looking when it took the family just an hour. Like, yeah. to me, that is like a huge huge red flag right there was also the coroner right like that coroner was accused of so much misconduct previously and his testimony in court cases is generally regarded as unreliable and so why was he allowed to have the final say in brooks's autopsy and why was he even practicing still asad why wasn't his license suspended that's my question. That's probably a, a case that we should dive into because I would love to learn more about about this yeah. this person uh, as a coroner. But if any of our listeners know, please let us know for sure. Um, and then, you know, sadly, the other question is why the FBI didn't probe any deeper despite all the early reports of racially motivated altercations, you know, at the party. And again, we don't know exactly what happened. I think partly because nobody really investigated and shared back what they found. And so, sadly, you know, it was whatever, 15, 17, 20 years later, many of the people in charge at these agencies had since left. So it was difficult to probe to understand exactly what took place back then and what sort of pressure they were under during the investigation. So I said, what I'm hearing is that there is evidence of multiple racially motivated altercations happening at the party, Right. We have evidence for that, but nobody has come forward. Nobody has spoken about what really happened that day at that party, right? And I wonder where is the FBI's investigation today? Because as you said, nobody's come forward with any additional evidence. Yeah, sadly. So for now, the investigation remains active with ongoing efforts to bring those responsible to justice. The FBI is offering a reward of up to $100,000 for information leading to the arrest, prosecution, and conviction of the individual or individuals that may be responsible for Alonzo's death. U.S. Attorney Stephen McAllister is spearheading the latest investigation. It's a big reward. He's banking on a $100,000 reward to help teenagers 
who are now grown adults, remember and provide more details. You need to come forward. You know, you've grown up now. Uh, it's time. So here we'll ask our listeners, if you have any additional information, you should reach out to the FBI. And Asad, is this our first ongoing case? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I I can't remember. I think this. I think you're right. I think this is our first kind of case that's still ongoing that doesn't, you know, have an, an ending. I said it's mind-boggling to me as to why this case hasn't been solved even after 19 years. And you know, to me, this story serves as a stark reminder of the need to be persistent about seeking justice and answers, especially when there is a suspicion of racial violence. And that's something that you said as well, right? But unfortunately, this remains a cold case murder for now, at least. Yeah, you know, I think, Sadia, a lot of the hate crimes that we cover on this podcast, you know, there's clearly a victim and then we we know who the perpetrator is and, and then we discuss. But here, you know, yeah, Brooks's murder is unknown and... You know, in the two decades since his death, there have been no arrests, no charges, or no answers for what happened to him, right? And I think one thing is for sure is that someone, and probably someone at that party, knows what happened to him. You're absolutely right, Asit. Somebody does. But until they come forward, we wouldn't know what really happened. And in a way, I can see why people would not come forward. It does make me think how strong peer pressure can be, especially at the young age of being a teen or early adult. All of these people probably now would be in their 30s. So now is the time to speak out. Yeah. And I said, I also want to bring to attention something else, a different phenomenon called the bystander effect. How many people at the party observed the racial slurs hurled at Brooks and felt bad about it, but chose to remain silent? Yeah, totally, Sally. I think that's exactly right. And for the listeners that don't know, can you explain what the bystander effect is? Absolutely. The bystander effect is a psychological phenomenon in which individuals are less likely to offer help to a person in need when there are other people present. In a way, having more people present in a situation can make individuals assume that someone else will act. Yeah, you know, Sadly, I've, I've actually, you know, I felt this at times. I totally get it. And um, I think sometimes I'm proven right and sometimes I'm proven wrong. And typically, I feel like it happens to me at least when... You know, I see something when I'm driving my car, whether it's a car accident or someone on the side of the road looking for help. I think there's some times where I'm like, I call 911 and I'm like, you know, just so you know, there's like this car accident that just happened. And then, you know, half the time they'll be like, oh, thank you. And then, you know, hang up. And half the time they'll be like, oh, yeah, you know, we already know someone's on their way type of thing. And so uh -huh. I totally get it. I think it's I didn't actually know that there was a, <laughs> a phrase for it. And so I'm glad that you explained it. Sally, why don't we take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to answer the question that we always talk about. Is this a hate crime or not? Welcome back to Invisible Hate. So, Asad, what do you think? Is this a hate crime or not? 
Yeah, you know, Sadia, I think one thing is that the FBI is certainly investigating this as a potential hate crime. I think that not knowing what was said, you know, at the party to him, you know, without having that details, I think it's hard for me to make a determination that this should be investigated as a hate crime, but certainly like you know, he was only one of three people there that were uh, was a person of color and that for him to end up the way that he did. And then also, you know, the way that the local law enforcement treated his investigation, like I feel like there's just like a hint of, of racism or something hovering over this case. You're absolutely right, Asit. This is a complicated case. But Asit, the U.S. attorney for the District of Kansas said of the ongoing investigation that there were indeed numerous reports of multiple fights breaking out and racist comments being made. So there is a reference to that. Now, we don't know if that was the overarching motivation for perpetrators, right? And we don't even know if the perpetrators were at the party or somewhere else. And that's why this case is a lot more complicated in terms of a fair determination of whether this was a hate crime or not. You know, I think, Sadia, I think for me, it's just complicated because there's just a lot of details that we don't know. Like, I think clearly it's a murder. Clearly, we need to investigate, you know, what happened to him. Clearly, we need to investigate, you know, whether there was any hurtful, hateful comments that were made to him at the party. But, like, does that mean that they're both connected? I feel like I haven't seen a connection between those two. I think we can imply that, but it's. I think it's really complicated. You're absolutely right, Asad. We don't have enough evidence or enough information to make that determination. And to your point, hurling racial slurs at somebody is a terrible, terrible thing to do. And we've said this a million times on our podcast that words matter. The way we address people, the way we look at people basically impacts how they live their lives or how they operate in a society. But at the same time, I still strongly feel that we don't have enough information to say it was a hate crime. Yeah, I think I think that's where I'm feeling uh, about it right now. Um, obviously, I think it's a horrific thing that happened. But yeah, that's kind of where I fall as well. So Asad, how can people help? So, you know, I think that, Sadia, donating to organizations that focus on justice reform or civil rights or supporting victims of racial violence can be a really great way to honor the memory of Alonzo Brooks. And so a few organizations that you can consider, you know, donating to would be, you know, the Equal Justice Initiative, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund or Color of Change will have links to all of those in the show notes. You can also consider supporting local grassroots organizations and initiatives in your area that focus on racial justice, victims support and community building. And Isha agrees. Anisha agrees. She's here. She's commenting. And you know, Sadia, today Brooks's family knows that there's progress towards finding answers and justice for Alonzo. Thank you so much for listening to Invisible Hate. If you want to learn more, check out links in the show notes about the case. Please email us your thoughts on this story or any other story that you think we should cover, you can reach us at info at invisiblehatepodcast.com. You can also tweet us or hit us up on Instagram. Just search for Invisible Hate Podcast. 
And by the way, if you like what you hear, please share with a friend. Invisible Hate is a joint production of Rafaelion Media and Immigrantly. We'd like to thank our team, which includes Parama Chakravarti, Emmanuel Monahan, and Sarah Mustafa. Our music was done by Simon Hutchinson. We'll be back next week with another hate crime for us to analyze. Until next time, I am Sadia Khan. And I'm Asad Bhatt with my daughter Isha. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24 seven.